0: This is your source for the latest business and financial news and analysis covering personal finance, lifestyle, technology, and stock markets. This is Business 1110. The opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered in the United States through First Allied Securities Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer member, FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through First Allied Securities Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Straight Talk Money with Mike Robertson, where Mike and his guests bring you the wisdom of Wall Street. Over the next hour, you'll not only get straight answers to your questions about your money, But also get first-hand insight into the economy and the markets from a man who's seen the ups, downs, and turnarounds. Thanks to more than 38 years' experience in the financial industry, Mike is master certified with Ed Slott and Harry S. Dent. Get ready. Straight Talk Money starts right now. Here's Mike Robertson.
1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Thursday edition of Straight Talk Money. I'm Peggy Tuck. Some of the things we're going to be covering today on the show are going to include the new ban uh, coming from Russia. Uh, We've also got um, some comments from some of our guests about how strong this economy really is. And I didn't get around to it yesterday. So today I'm going to tell you how your next pizza could be just a Push of a button away. All that's coming up on today's show, and we thank you for tuning in. Now, I am so fortunate because I have not one, but two really good guests that are going to be joining me today. So I hope you all will keep this number handy, and I hope you will use it. The number is 877 711 5611. 877 711 5611. This is your show, too. And remember, we always say it's straight talk to you about finances and straight answers to your questions so no question is uh is 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 too menial so (laughs) just go ahead and ask it anyway joining me and uh joining me on the phone first i'm going to go to uh one of our very dear friends who joins us quite often on the show and i always get lots of comments every time he's on he's coming to us remotely from some exotic little island somewhere charles sizemore good morning charles Good morning. And glad you could join us today. Can't wait to get some of the insight that you're going to bring to these crazy markets. And then I'm really thrilled to have this person. I read his stuff a lot. And he writes some good stuff. And any of you that um, are big Market Watch followers, I know you read his stuff as well. We have Jeff Reeves. He is, of course, a financial journalist and editor of investing website, InvestorPlace.com. You've read him in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Market Watch, Smart Money, 24 7 Wall Street. And um, he can be uh, actually located at InvestorPlace.com. So Jeff, you've written a great article we're going to get into. Thank you for joining us as well. My pleasure. All right, guys. Well, of course, one of the big um, headlines this morning is the jobless benefits. It says the number of uh, people who applied for unemployment fell below 300000 for the second time in three weeks, saying pretty much signifying that maybe the, the U.S. labor market is actually improving.
2: Well, I I think think um, one of the big narratives of the recovery has been it really hasn't been dramatic, the the pace of uh, the labor market's improvement. But um, it, it is dramatic over time, these these kind of little steps that we've taken um, show that things are indeed getting better. I mean, the unemployment rate did rise, the headline unemployment rate for June's number, uh, or July's number, I'm sorry, rose to 6.2% from June. Uh, but that's actually the lowest level since October 2008. It's up slightly from the 6.1 in June that was the lowest in September 2008. But either way you slice it. Um, The economy is much better off than it was, you know, uh, five, six years ago. Uh, And I think that while there are obviously challenges going ahead and it's not going to be smooth sailing, I think there's just further validation that the labor market is significantly improved from where it was a couple years ago.
1: Well, Charles, now, as we've seen, sometimes these numbers are a little fuzzy. And how much of this really, there's a lot more part-time employment than full-time employment. So how strong can this be?
3: Well, okay. Just overall with the labor market, it, it, it is getting better, but it is a sort of case of two steps forward, one step back. As, as Jeff pointed out, the unemployment rate has even popped up a little bit from 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 the previous month. It's still sort of moving the right direction, but it, this is not like a 1990s economy. You know, this this is this is very much a post-crisis uh, slow growth recovery here. What we see, what we see in, in, in some of the data is you're, you're right. Part-time employment has been picking up a lot of the slack, and uh, that, that U6 underemployment. A lot of, uh, a lot of just I don't know. Market commentators like to uh, like, like to point out that the you know, the, the headline uh, unemployment rate is not not all that accurate. The quote real unemployment rate is really the U6, which includes people that are uh, you know in part-time employment because they can't find a, a full-time job, or, or people that have they're just marginally attached to the labor force. That, that has remained high as well. Again, moving in the right direction,
2: but it's, it's getting there in 50 starts.
1: And what about the people that have just plain given up?
2: Well, well I would they say, say sort of that the um, so labor participation rate um, that has been a big you know pro- kind of problem with, with some of the uh, people who watch the data out there. Some people say that the biggest reason for the drop in unemployment is because there just aren't that many people looking for jobs. Um, but the Fed actually had a pretty good report um, a couple of weeks ago now that said uh, the biggest drop in unemployment that we've seen uh, in the first half of this year has almost all come from the long-term unemployed. Uh, unemployed. they said uh, about 0.5 percentage points have been shaved off the headline unemployment rate from the long-term unemployed getting jobs. Uh, and the labor participation rate actually popped up. That's one of the reasons the, the headline unemployment rate went from 6.1 to 6.2, is because there are actually more people looking for jobs, which is a bullish sign. Um, so, I mean, I, I think Charles is right. The, the the challenge here is that there is no clear, um, you know, kind of or bell that's being rung about how the fact that the labor market is fixed. It's not that simple. So uh, I guess people can kind of see what they want to see. But I do think that long term uh, it's kind of hard to dispute the trend that, You know, from where we were in 2008, 2009, or even where we were in 2011, I think we're significantly improved. Whether or not that's improved enough or whether or not we are in a, quote-unquote, robust recovery, uh, I think that's fair to debate. But I think, you know, it it is safe to say that the worst is behind us, and I don't think we're, we're quite at risk of a crash or anything like that.
1: Okay, and of course, one of the things that the Fed is really, really watching that might signal when they might try to raise rates is this whole employment situation. Yesterday, Goldman Sachs came out, and they apparently have written a letter to their clients, and Goldman says they know exactly what's going to happen when the Fed starts raising those rates typically um, stocks seem to do better in the months leading up to those initial increases for instance when the Fed first raised interest rates in 1994-99-2004 the S&P rallied um, Charles I'd like to get your thoughts on this and I mean does how can anyone say that they know what's going to happen
3: yeah, I was about to make a joke about that. I just, Of course, <laughs> Golden Tax knows exactly what's going to happen. Is a little bird just perched on their shoulder and told them. I, I would say, you know, a couple things to keep in mind. One, the stock market is a leading indicator. The stock market tends to lead economic data. The stock market rallies first, and the economic data usually follows, ideally. I mean, not always, not 100%, but that's how it generally works. So it does make sense that you would not have any sort of market market turbulence leading up to the event here but once the Fed does start to tighten you know that that should I I, I would say this what you know the question is is out there what's going to cause that next recession we've been asking it for months
1: now right Colin Roach wrote that this morning
3: sure sure the most obvious answer and this is I think this is where Goldman was going is that when the Fed does start to raise rates that is going to take a lot of Not anything like a 2008 meltdown.
1: Okay, guys, we're coming up against a break. And on the other side, Jeff Reeves has written a really good article. And he's got all kinds of great arguments on why this economy is rock solid. We're going to talk about that on the other side of this break. You're listening to Straight Talk Money, where we bring you the wisdom of Wall Street each and every day. Be right back, folks. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Straight Talk Money. I'm Peggy Tuck, sitting in for Mike Robertson. Joining me on the phone, I have two very special guests. First of all, I have Charles Sizemore, a good friend of ours. His um, website is macrotrendinvestor.com, macrotrendinvestor.com. And I also have Jeff Reeves. You read Jeff's stuff on Market Watch, And he is also the editor of the investing website, Investor. Place.com. So, you've got a real panel here today, and we are sitting here waiting for your questions. Now, Jeff wrote a really good article, so I was thrilled to have him on today. And you know, yes, every day you look at the headlines, whether it be on online, in the newspaper, and it's it's like gloom and doom, you know, one day the market's going up, this day it's going down. But Jeff wrote a great article, and he's got a lot of really good arguments for why this U.S. economy is rock solid. So I'd like to get into that, guys. And first of all, and we were just talking about this um, in the first segment, Jeff. You say number one was just the fact that the job market is continuing to improve.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, and before the break, Charles said something that I think is very important, that the, the market is a, a forward indicator of where things are going to go. And We can't forget that Wall Street, by and large, was extremely bullish last year because they thought we were in great shape. The market was up 30%. uh, And I think the data we've seen has validated that. The unemployment rate has has ticked down I mean it did bump up a little bit in June but like I said I think that's largely due to labor participation stuff Uh, and it's still the lowest level since 2008 anyway long term unemployed is is bleeding down Uh, there are still problems with wages but the the labor market broadly has improved a lot and I think it's important for investors to remember that you know that's not necessarily a sign that the market is going to go up because job job numbers are, are at that level now remember we just got july's data in august we're always a little bit behind but the the rally that we saw last year i think was a sign that many investors thought that the economy was going to be on firmer footing in 2014 and this job's number the jobs numbers that we've seen lately i think have validated that
1: um charles You know, we heard so much uh, about the weather this year and the effect that the, oh, it was just the weather. But yet, you had, uh, you know, luxury car sales were up and certain things were up. So, you know, how much of an impact do you think that the weather had?
3: Well, if you look at the first quarter GDP numbers, the weather clearly had an impact there. first quarter was absolutely awful, but... The second quarter was great. You know, the second quarter, the weather had long since passed. This was, And and there was a little bit of catch-up there. A lot of consumption and investment that did not happen in the first quarter ended up just getting pushed into the second. So that's, that's actually part of the story here. Horrible first quarter, great second quarter. We'll see if, if we can keep the momentum there. Uh, one, one point I want to go back to there is Jeff had mentioned long-term unemployed. Now, that's more significant than you would think because the long-term unemployed are the hardest to they're, – they're, they're the hardest to settle for a couple reasons. If you're long-term unemployed, it means a couple things. Either your skills are sort of obsolete or you're just very expensive. Perhaps you're a, a boomer who was laid off from your last job. You're, you're a highly experienced professional, and there's just not that many jobs available to you at the salary you're accustomed to. For that person to find a job, that shows you that the market, the job market, really is stronger than than the headline suggests. suggest. That long-term unemployed number, that really is a big deal.
1: Um, Jeff, are the people taking their wallets and getting back to the stores, and are we seeing more consumer confidence?
2: Uh, we are. I, I mean, again, the, the big GDP bump that we saw for Q2 – uh, was largely driven by consumers. That was a big part of of why uh, we saw such great numbers. Uh, consumer confidence is up. Consumer spending is improving at a at a, at a much better rate uh, than previously. In the GDP details we just got. Um, it improved at a 2.5% pace, uh, which is which is a lot better than it was in, in previous quarters. Um, and it's also important to, to remember that one of the big consumer things that people tend to look at are, is, is housing, and people tend to take that as a, an indicator of consumer sentiment, right, because of the wealth effect. A lot of people, even if their, their paychecks aren't that different and their family budget's the same, if your house is losing value, you feel like you don't have as much money. If your house is rising in value, you feel more wealthy. It's called the wealth effect. Um, and while home price growth is slowing, and I think that our a lot of people have concerns that it 's slowing and it may be plateauing in many markets. The reality is that it 's still rising it 's not rising as much as it was from the snap back in two thousand and nine and ten. Um, but in many urban areas, we saw a price increase of 9 to 10%, which, again, it's not a 20% growth rate, but I think a lot of people are going to take that. Think even single-digit growth after some of the uh, the crisis-era problems that we saw with housing prices, I think, is, is very telling. And I think the fact that housing has not crashed, that it's just plateauing and slowing down, which I think we'd all agree is actually a healthy thing. We don't want another bubble. Uh, the fact that we have that wealth effect from the housing market, I think, is also good for consumers. It's good for sentiment. It's good for that wealth effect.
1: We we recently had um, an economist on that was really kind of from the construction industry. And I had seen an article that really said one of the biggest problems with housing was the fact that there was not enough lots, that they really, you know, was the lots and also supplies,
2: yeah, and, and that's uh, an important thing to remember, too. If you look at, not to get too wonky, if you look at all the numbers that, uh, that are across the housing market, whether it's permits, it's housing start, housing prices, there's a lot of data. The, the, the story of the housing recovery has largely been driven by the fact that supply and demand have normalized. The, the industry has gotten a bit more responsible. You know, the bears will point to the fact that volume is not that high. I'm actually incredibly encouraged by the fact that supply is not that high either. It's not like builders are trying to make up for it by just building a boatload of houses out there and and trying to sell them to to buyers that don't exist or or to give them to people who take out mortgages that shouldn't have mortgages. The fact that supply has been constrained, uh, I think, is is ultimately a good thing. And, again, that's why we're seeing prices rise. They're not rising at bubble-like levels. But when you have a a, a proper supply-and-demand balance, uh, it leads to a decent rate of growth. And I I think that the expert that you had on – uh, I think that's one more sign that I think the industry has learned a lot from this, that supply does matter. That's not just driven by a lot of liar loans out there. It isn't the only way you can make how the prices rise. If you just control supply and you're responsible with it, I think it's good for everybody.
1: Charles, one of the things that, you know, we we've kind of been watching is, is actually businesses. And are they spending money? And are we seeing an uptick in that?
3: The data there is a little bit mixed for the most part part, we haven't seen a large uptick. I mean, there's been some anecdotal evidence here and there of, of some new investment. For example, a lot of companies have refreshed their uh, their PC inventory, you know, getting rid of Windows XP and getting Windows 8 or Windows 7 or what have you. Actually, I would say getting Windows 8, but a lot of them are actually getting Windows 7. But that's a different argument for a different day. Uh, for anyone who has Windows 8, it is sort of a learning curve. <laughs> but uh, what most, what what, uh, what what companies have been spending most of their money on still is is buybacks and uh, and, and dividends. Uh, that's that's not bad if you're a shareholder. But uh, as as prices have ri- have risen, buybacks do become less attractive. And the, the simple fact is, in order to have sustained profit growth, you do need top line growth as well. And you're not going to get that top line revenue growth unless you invest in your businesses. So that, I expect that to be happening.
1: And what about you, Jeff? Do you have any comments on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that Charles was right, the
2: data is mixed. Uh, Again, I think that, um, you know, the kind of forward indicator that I look at is the fact that productivity has really tapered off. Um, The businesses, it's no surprise for anybody who has a job and sits in a cubicle anywhere. The businesses Mm -hmm. have been trying to to get workers to do more with less. Uh, I think they've been making people stumble around with older technologies not investing in equipment. Um, and, and the productivity curve has really flattened out as a result. And in, in Charles is right on the monthly where he says that there has to be top line growth uh, in order for, for this to become sustainable, and especially for a public traded company, for their share price to remain uh, where it is or move higher. Uh, and I think businesses have actually understood that they need to invest in themselves in order to get that productivity. They've squeezed about as much from this turnip as they're going to get by simply saying to people, hey man, it's a, it's a tough job market out there. You're lucky to have this job, you need to do more. Again, the labor numbers show that that's not the, t- the case anymore. People are being competitive in the job market. I think wages will rise as a result. And long-term unemployed people who actually have skills, uh, they'll they'll be out there. They'll actually be uh, they'll have a place at a company that believes in them again.
1: All right, guys, we've got to come up against a break. You're listening to Straight Talk Money, where we bring you the wisdom of Wall Street each and every day.
0: more of the straight talk you need to make it in today's economy with mike robertson
1: You know what that sound means. The market is officially open. Looking pretty good today. The Dow up about 50, S&P about 7, and the NASDAQ up 16. So, nice start to the day. Let's see if it can hold till this afternoon when we hear the closing bell. I'm Peggy Tuck, and of course, joining me, I have Charles Sizemore. The website is MacroTrendInvestor.com, along with MarketWatch columnist Jeff Reeves and Jeff's uh, website, and I just just moved it i can't believe i did that jeff but anyway it's investor InvestorPlace.com. InvestorPlace.com. There's where you can go get more information from these guys. Um, We were talking before the break, guys, about um, Jeff's article, actually, about all his arguments on why he thinks he sees this market as really being rock solid. The one thing that we didn't get into right there at the end was earnings, and we're seeing lots of earnings coming in. Jeff, what does that tell you about the economy?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, we also kind of briefly mentioned the idea of buybacks. I won't act like stock buybacks are doing a little bit of fuzzy math there. When you naturally take more shares off the market, your earnings per share can naturally rise just because of the whole den- denominator issue. Uh, but it is true that corporate earnings are rising uh, and they are beating expectations. Uh, the latest numbers that I saw from FactSet does kind of these earnings insights week by week, uh, and they said that uh, of the S and P companies that have reported thus far um 24% of all S&P components have reported earnings and 65 have beaten uh, estimates for sales for the top line. So while we might want to, you know, kind of poo-poo some of the earnings growth as just a, a, a feature of the buybacks, I think the top line is indeed growing, and it is indeed beating estimates. We, you know, we can talk whether or not Wall Street uh, estimates are fair or unfair, but, you know, I think <laughs> that, broadly speaking, the direction is up. It's higher, both for the top line and the bottom line, and I think that shows that this is sustainable, that it's not just a crazy rally built on buybacks or, or fuzzy accounting. I think it does show that there is growth out there.
1: Charles, yesterday, of course, the, some of the big news was Walgreens, and the other one was the twenty-first um, Century Fox deal. Twenty-first um, Century is out this morning. They their earnings are up six point four percent due to this. Um, how much of an impact do you think? Also, now yesterday, Walgreens was down, but because their decision to stay here in the United States is, do you what kind of a long term impact do you see that as having on their stock?
3: For, for Walgreens, um, okay, so th- there's a couple things there. There was expectations that Walgreens might reincorporate overseas, mm-hmm. uh, taking advantage of lower tax rates. The fact that they didn't do that makes them, I suppose, patriotic or what have you, but it does mean that a, a larger percentage of their earnings are going to the tax ban rather than to their investors or rather than being reinvested there. Um, that's It's really, I mean, that's that's the status quo. So what you had in the case of Walgreens was, rather than have a better tax regime you're just going to have a continuation of the status quo. Now of course, ideally, and we can all cross our fingers here, we would love to see the US become more competitive on tax. We would love to see our corporate tax rate fall to I mean I'd be happy if it just fell to the, you know, the developed world average of, of low 20% instead of the 35 plus it is now. Uh I, I won't hold my breath, but uh, that would be nice if that happened.
1: Yesterday, we had um, Meben Faber on, and he was really talking about where he's investing right now and where he sees the opportunities, and one of the opportunities was Russia. Now, we've heard this from a couple of different people, and I think, Charles, as a matter of fact, you are one of the people we heard it from last time that you were on the show. Um, with so much going on globally, and then, of course, today, now Russia's come out. Of course, we've we've imposed sanctions on Russia over what's going on in that region. Now, they're coming back and saying that they are going to ban totally deliveries of beef, pork, fruit, vegetables, milk, everything basically to try to hurt the European Union and the U.S., Australia, Canada, Norway, all of them. But what kind of an impact might that have on, say, some of these, well-known global types of stocks like a like a P and G or a Unilever.
3: Yeah, well, okay. One thing about Putin's uh, sanctions on Europe, he play. I, I would not want to play chess against this guy. I wouldn't want to play <laughs> poker. That's probably that's probably a better analogy. I wouldn't want to play poker against him because he's just he's always one step ahead of you. I think what his in-game with the sanctions against Europe is actually to sow dissension but, uh, among the European Union countries. Already, as soon as as soon as Putin made that announcement, or as soon, as soon as his underlings made that announcement, I should say, Finland had had started publicly questioning the rest of the European Union. Hey, this is going to disproportionately hurt us. We want compensation from the rest of you. So, you know, if, if these Russian sanctions are going to take down the Finnish economy, we're not going to suffer alone. We expect to be compensated by our European brothers here. Uh, there's going to be some pushback. I mean, Finland was the first to say something, but but, but others will as well. So uh, I question, I question who's going to blink first here. Um, I, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to bet against Putin on that. But you know, we, we will see. Now, interestingly, with the sanctions, he, he targeted agriculture this time. Mm-hmm. What what he did not target were, uh, were, were some of the sectors that I would see see more risk, it, like luxury goods, for example. Russia is a major major buyer of luxury goods, luxury autos, things like that. Those were not touched. Yet, though they could be in the next round of sanctions, Putin is doing the same thing the West did. He's doing the sanctions in stages. And so if he decides to take the next stage, luxury goods companies, I think, could get hit really hard. Now, you had mentioned the Procter & Gamble, Unilever's World. They could be hit as well. But I would say the sector's most at risk from a, a second or third round of sanctions by Putin would be the luxury goods.
1: And we are seeing, actually, uh, there's been several stories about New York and how we're seeing so much of the real estate being snapped up. The, there, are, there are some wealthy, wealthy people in Russia. Are we going to start seeing that money um, coming into New York and maybe getting into that real estate play as well, Jeff?
2: Well, you know, I think that um, that kind of, um, that tale of, of foreign investment um, in U.S. real estate, Again, it's really hard to speak broadly about trends like that. I think that largely um, that kind of foreign investment is happening in places like New York or L.A. uh, where real estate is super pricey, and they're also kind of trophy properties for people who live in the east or or in Russia. Um, I don't really think that that's that's a big risk for most people who, like, you know, if they live in suburban Dallas or what have you, don't think that there's going to be an influx of of Russian capital buying up townhomes there. Uh, but I do think that, um, you know, in in major metro areas, I think that is a trend. I think that's going to continue a trend. Um, it's pretty much indicative of the fact that, um, the wealthy people who live in China and in Russia in particular, they really don't have a lot of place to go with their cash. Um, you know, while, while we're talking about the sanctions for Russia, I think it's important to realize that, um, Putin is doing this for, from a political perspective, from an economic perspective, Russia really hasn't been all that grand, even though the BRICS Include Russia as like one of these as this great emerging market with so much growth ahead of it. Um, Russia's growth rate has been pretty anemic lately. It, it grew at 1.3% last year. Uh, it's tracking pretty ugly numbers uh, this year too, and partially because of the sanctions, but partially just because Russia domestic be- demand isn't that great. And Putin goes on the air and talks on radio about how you know sanctions are no big deal. It'll actually allow us to to kind of have these homegrown businesses sell to. to consumers who, who live and work in Russia. I mean, that's a great narrative, but domestic uh, consumption in Russia among the lower classes really isn't there. I mean, I think that the tale of Russia and China is, is like Charles said, there are a lot of really wealthy people there who, who buy luxury goods who do come to America to invest either in real estate or in our capital markets. But the vast majority of people who live in Russia and China, their consumer class isn't quite as developed, I think, as we would like to believe. And I think China's kind of meltdown in their market has, has proved that. The China miracle of consumer growth really hasn't panned out the way many people have thought. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, while, while I suppose there's going to be uh, a continued investment from the wealthy upper class in Russia and China, sanctions are really going to put a, put a damper on that. Um, and that's really all that matters for, for uh, dom- uh, domestic investors in America. I think that it's important to remember that it, as an investor, a lot of this stuff is political that's going on. It's really not going to affect your portfolio you're holding,
1: certainly not your real estate. Okay. Um, guys, I want to remind everybody we're going to come back. We're going to find out what trends and sectors um, Jeff and Charles like, and also maybe what keeps them up at night. You're listening to Straight Talk Money, where we bring you the wisdom of Wall Street each and every day with Peggy Tuck, Jeff Reeves from Market Watch, and Charles Sizemore. We'll be back after these important messages. Welcome back, everybody, to the final segment of Straight Talk Money today. It looks like the Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ are all holding on to their gains. And uh, so that's a good start to the day. Um, do want to remind everybody, if you haven't signed up for our newsletter, there's a very good reason to. First of all, you're going to get information from some of these people just like what we have on today, Jeff Reeves and Charles Sizemore, but also you're going to get invitations to events that we might be hosting in your city. Coming up in Houston, we've got a dinner on um, August 12th, and we've also got a lunch at the Palm Restaurant on August 26th. Both of those or Tuesdays. Just go to straighttalkmoney.com and click on the events tab. That's a great way to sign up. And Kerrville, we are coming your way next week. Next Thursday, we will be in Kerrville. We're having, a, we're hosting a delicious lunch at the Rails Cafe delightful little restaurant. Got a great presentation for you and I do have seats. All these are complimentary events. All we need is a head count. So let us buy you lunch. Just go to straighttalkmoney.com, click on the events tab and you can sign up or you can call me toll free at 855-624-4004 855-624-4004 As I mentioned, we've got Jeff Reeves he's a Market Watch columnist and also the editor of Investor Place .com and Charles Sizemore our good buddy from macrotrendinvestor.com. And guys, okay, we've been talking a lot about the economy and what's going on, you know, we've got the S&P up, the Dow up. Where exactly if I'm an investor now listening to this show, where do we go from here? And Jeff, I'd like to start with you.
2: Yeah, uh, I I think that um we're Probably going to see a little bit more volatility. I mean, especially you know we were talking about Russia. There's unrest in Israel. I think that there's a there is uncertainty out there, and I think that there is a little bit of doubt. But I do expect us to finish the year, the S&P above 2,000. Uh, I'm I'm probably looking at about 2150, another maybe four to five percent up from here. Um, and I think that you know people who are long-term investors can can kind of do well by themselves if they kind of tune out the short-term volatility and focus on a long-term opportunity. I think that the recovery is sound, and I think there's a lot of upside for stocks in a lot of sectors. It's not to say there isn't some froth out there, uh, but I think that if you're broadly diversified, I think that it's definitely up from here for equities.
1: And what sectors are you looking at, Jeff?
2: Well, um, Charles and I kind of share uh, the perspective on, on the macro trend of the aging boomers that are out there. I think healthcare. Uh, is probably the best sector for, for any kind of investor, either if you're looking for growth, j- just looking for a foundational investment with income. Um, I like kind of healthcare care uh, REITs that are out there because they offer uh, pretty good dividend yields, uh, sometimes 4 to 6%. Uh, HCP is, is one that I like right now. I also like the biotech funds that are out there. They kind of took a beating in the beginning of this year. Uh, but those uh, kind of innovative treatments for cancer or Alzheimer's, uh, they mm-hmm. can really pop, uh, and those stocks can really soar and find find new growth as they develop new cures. I don't like to play play individual biotechs that are out there, but some of the e- ETFs that are out there, either by um, the spider or the iShares uh, biotech funds, I think are are both good investments. Uh, so I really have healthcare right now uh, for for those reasons. Uh, I also kind of for a secular play, I like enterprise tech. Um, I know that kind of a, the the sector kind of sat out the last couple of years and didn't do all that great. Uh, Microsoft has been on a tear, though, thanks to some restructuring. Um, and I expect if business spending continues to improve, we'll see these kind of bigger enterprise tech companies like IBM and Oracle also get a tailwind. I think it's about time for businesses to start investing in technology. And, again, um, you know, the, the past performance of these companies, I think, has been kind of driven by the fact that businesses weren't spending. If we're going to go... Further from here, with the economic that we've seen, I think it's going to have to come from investment in businesses, investment in enterprise tech, and that's going to help a company like Oracle, Cisco, uh, IBM. And by the way, uh, those are all companies that have huge uh, cash hoards, they have a very stable balance sheet. So it's not like they're, they're the risky tech stocks out there, like Twitter, that can go up and down like crazy. I think enterprise tech, a bad reputation, um, I, I think that it is a very stable long-term investment for people.
1: Charles, where are you looking now for investments for for your clients?
3: Sure, sure. Within the U.S., I share just enthusiasm for real estate investment trust. I think those are a very good place to be for at least the next uh, probably half year or so. I also like technology. I also like energy a fair bit. Now, uh, I would say within your overall portfolio, though, I would be underweight the U.S. I wouldn't be out of it, but I would be underweight the U.S., and I would, I would have a little more exposure to Europe and to emerging markets. This thing in Russia is scary. I, I fully acknowledge it's scary to watch all this. I I would not let that discourage you from investing in emerging markets right now. And and at the end, it all comes down to price. Right now, the U.S. market is a little on the expensive side. Europe is still very cheap, and emerging markets are even cheaper. So that's, if you're willing to stomach a little bit of volatility here in the short term, I think that's where the the bigger returns are going to be. So if you're investing in a 401k or what have you, I would just maybe up the exposure to to a good international fund, to to a good emerging market fund. Don't put your entire account into the course. But just put, you know, if you'd normally put five, ten percent, put more like ten to twenty percent. If you'd normally put ten to fifteen percent, you know, maybe up it to twenty, twenty five percent. Just uh I would just put more exposure overseas and uh and, and just wait for this volatility to ride out.
1: Jeff, is there anything that keeps you awake at night? Um
2: I mean, I, I'm, I'm a pretty hopeful guy in general. I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't go for the doom and gloom type of stuff. I think that there are risks. Uh, you know, if we are going to have a zombie apocalypse, frankly, I have other, other problems than how I'm going to get my money out of my brokerage <laughs> account. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that um, one of my biggest fears, uh, I guess, if, if, I, if I would have one, is the fact that we are, we are going to see kind of the, the, the cycle of doubt um, kind of act as a, as a freeze on, on credit, on lending, on consumer spending, uh, I think that there is there is some doubt out there, and for good reason. I think people learned a good lesson from the financial crisis that they should live within their means, and that businesses shouldn't expect for for infinite growth forever for no reason. Um, but I think the problem is that uh, this all feeds on itself. We were talking earlier about the long-term unemployed getting back in the workforce and be able to spend again, and then they'll be able to retire. That's all a really good thing for the economy. A, a really bad thing would be is if if this virtuous cycle does kind of get broken or slowed down. I think it's going to be a very tough. For us to hoe, because you know, there's already enough doubt out there as people have, have tried to pay down their debt and aren't spending as much after the financial mm-hmm. crisis. I think that if we did see some kind of geopolitical event or something like that, that that did really rattle people, I think that we'd lose a lot of the momentum that we've gotten. Because, like like I said, maybe in the first segment of this a, a couple minutes ago, is that the the recovery has not been dramatic. It's not like anyone just sounded a sounded a foghorn and it's off to the races again. It has been a really long slog. So if we take a significant step backwards. It's not like we're going to bounce back quickly. So if I did have a fear, uh, I think it would be some kind of extraneous event that would create another big kind of um, fear factor out there for people, and it makes it all that harder to continue the incremental growth that we've seen.
1: Okay, Charles, we've just got a couple of minutes left. Um, some parting words for the folks that are listening to the show today.
3: Sure, sure. I would say if you're you know, looking for those things to keep you up at night, those big macro risks you're afraid of, well, we're actually already in the middle of them. We have war in the Middle East. We have a crisis with Russia, the worst since the Cold War. If that's not a macro event, then I don't know what is. I would say really the biggest risk for me right now is just valuations. I think stocks have gotten a little bit expensive. You would, uh, I would feel better about the sustainability of a rally if we had a little correction just to come the froth out. But otherwise, I, I like what, what I see right now.
1: All right. Charles Sizemore, MacroTrendInvestor.com. That's MacroTrendInvestor.com. They just go and sign up, Charles?
3: Uh, you bet. That's how it works.
1: <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. I know you uh, took time off from your vacation to join us, so we appreciate it, Charles. Go back to uh, laying on the beach.
3: <laughs> yes, ma'am.
1: <laughs> okay. And Jeff Reeves from... Um, uh, a columnist for Market Watch, also his investing website, InvestorPlace.com. Make sure you go both of those places and read. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate both of your um, insight and wisdom and giving folks a little something uh, to go out and investigate today. All right, so thanks, guys. Have a great day.
2: Thanks, Baggy. I'll be back soon.
1: Good. and thank and thank you everyone for listening to straight talk money tomorrow peggy tuck and my special co-host dave dyer is going to be here so go out have a great day make some money and we'll see you tomorrow thanks for listening to straight talk money